Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Azrin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds, and welcome to today's podcast episode. I'd like to start today's episode off with a quick life update, followed by a characteristic that I've, that I've seen in many good teachers, whether it's language teachers or teachers of another skill. And lastly, I'd like to share a simple yet effective piece of language learning advice. Now, let's start with the life update. I've been sick since Sunday, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I had a cold. I was coughing and sneezing and had a runny nose and stuffed up, your typical head cold. And so I paused life for those four days, essentially. When I get sick, I basically hit pause on life. I lay in bed, I I don't work, I don't teach, I only do the bare minimum of the house responsibilities, I don't really answer text messages or emails, life gets paused. And I realize there's two reasons for it. The first reason is that for one reason or another, when I'm sick, even if it's a cold, I get tired. I'm tired and, and it's uncomfortable, obviously. So for me to do anything productive, whether it's work related, whether it's cleaning the house, answering an email, getting back to a text message, whatever it is, For me to do exercising, for me to do anything productive or useful, for me to do anything, basically, just do something, for me to do something is very uncomfortable and very tiring, physically and mentally. So I don't really want to do anything to start with. When I've met other people who get sick, they don't always feel this way. Like my sister, for example, even if she has a runny nose or is coughing, she still wants to go do stuff. It doesn't stop the desire in her to do things. My mom's the same way. I know lots of people that way. But for me, it stops the desire to want to do things. Additionally, when I get sick, all I really want to do is lay there, watch Netflix, and basically do nothing. Completely veg out. That's what I want to do. And again, I know people who do not want to do that. When they're sick or even when they're healthy, they never want to veg out. They don't like to do it. But for me, when I'm sick, A, it gives me an excuse to veg out, and B, <clears throat> I don't even want to do anything in the first place. So those two, those two things come together, and the result is, when I get sick, I do absolutely nothing. And um, I realize this is going to sound, this might sound, what's the right word for it? Surprising, but not in a good way. It almost makes me look a little bit dumb, in a sense. I think anyway, I feel kind of dumb saying this, but I realize that people take vacations for that reason. People go on the beach for a week or they go to Mexico or they go to New York and they take a week off and they just do things that are fun and they let go of all their life's all their life responsibilities. And that's why they do it. They want to, they want to quote unquote, let go of everything for a short period of time to recharge their batteries. For me, I've always, my whole life, I've judged that. I've judged, I've judged that behavior. And when I see people go on their vacation and take their pictures and such, in the back of my mind, I think things like, why would you ever do that? Why does everyone want to do that? I've never fully understood it. And then I realize that I scratch that itch when I get sick. When I get sick, I take full advantage. I let go of all the discipline that I usually have on a day-to-day basis. I eat junk food. I 
watch Netflix, I indulge myself, I, I, uh, <clears throat> whatever, I sleep, I sleep when I want, I wake up when I want, I lay in bed all day, and I, I don't know, I get that, what a lot of people might get, this might sound really weird, what a lot of people get from laying on the beach for a week and vegging out on the beach and drinking margaritas, I scratch that same itch by being sick in bed. Weird, right? So that's something I learned while I was sick over the past few days. I realized, oh, I get it. I get why I behave the way I behave when I'm sick. And it made me realize, I'm still trying to sort this out, actually. It, uh, it made me realize that life has a lot of different facets to it. There are things like discipline, being responsible, making the right decision, doing what's good, even though it's difficult, um, working hard, waking up on time, sleeping at the right time. In my case, recently, watching my light exposure and eating the right foods, treating people well. And there's, there's a million and one facets that are quote unquote good in life. Like all these things I mentioned, these are all good things to do. But the opposite of all of those is not necessarily bad. So being responsible is good. Being irresponsible is not necessarily bad. And the reason is that being responsible is not is also not necessarily good. Weird, right? Because being responsible is good, but not in excess. If you're always just super duper responsible, you can take it too far. And if you're always super duper irresponsible, you can take it too far. So I learned that, oh, right. There are things that I view as quote unquote not good, but it's not that they're not good. It's that too much of it would be not good. And so I need to I need to figure out what to do with that information. But the gist of it is I want to <clears throat> strike strike a better balance between things that perhaps I think are not good, but I still need to do. So that way I don't have to indulge myself in eating junk food or whatever it is like it's a bad example but I don't need to indulge myself and watch and binge watching way too much Netflix when I'm sick for example I don't have to wait for when I'm sick it's also uh something I realized too one of the great benefits to having a job like a full-time job with benefits and such is that you have an external person your boss in other words or your company that determines a, a large percentage of your life, which is actually quite good in many ways. You're just told this is how much vacation you're allowed to take. This is how many sick days you get. This is uh, what your benefits are. This is your work schedule. This is when you start. This is when you finish. This is These are your responsibilities. This is what you think about. And so that percentage of your life is just sort of handled. But if you work for yourself, you don't always have that. So you have to draw all your own lines and hold all of those boundaries. So yesterday, I literally was thinking through, like, what is my policy around sickness, uh, vacations, days off? Like, what? Like, how do I actually view this? And that's a whole other rabbit hole I can get down, but that's not relevant to you. That's more relevant to me. So that's the life update. Changing gears a little bit, let's actually get to some topics that are relevant to language learners and language learning. Uh, the one I want to start with is a quality that I have seen in many good teachers. Now, I've seen this quality in language teachers as well as 
this quality in people and this quality in people who teach other things. And I don't think I'm using the right word. It's not quite quality. Maybe it's characteristic. Maybe that's the better word. You'll see why. Often I see that the people who are the best at teaching something were were the ones who learned that skill in a way where it didn't necessarily come natural to them. I'll say that again. Often the best teachers are the ones who learned a certain skill and learned it even though that skill didn't come supernatural to them. So I'll give you some examples. A non-language example would be my swimming instructor. My swimming instructor is roughly 50 years old. I'm not 100% sure, but I'd say roughly 50. Maybe late 40s, let's say. <clears throat> let's say mid-40s to mid-40s or older, let's say. And he didn't learn to swim himself until he was in his 30s. So he didn't learn to swim until he was in his 30s. Before he was in his 30s, he couldn't swim. And then he learned, and now he's a very strong swimmer. He's an excellent swimmer. He's a great person to teach me. Because he didn't know how to, how to swim, and he had to learn as an adult, and he had to learn it from scratch, it's easier for him to explain it to me and to teach me. He can probably see my mistakes in himself in certain ways. He can see it like, oh, I probably did that. Oh, I did that. I remember thinking that's hard. Whereas if your instructor, my first instructor for swimming, for example, was a 17 or 18, I think 17-year-old, 18-year-old girl who had been swimming her whole life. She was a competitive swimmer, had been swimming her whole life. Swimming, she's been swimming almost as long as she's been walking, let's say, something like that. And so for her, it's it, it would be much more difficult to relate to the challenges I have as a 30-year-old who can't swim and to be able to break it down as well. It's harder for her because it just comes natural. She just swims. She just does it. Now, she was still a good teacher, to be fair. She was still not a bad teacher, per se, and she was able to break things down. But, but I do notice this one person I'm working with now, I, it's, it's different. Let's just say that. They have a different background at swimming. You know, if we use a language example, you could say, you could look at a native speaker teaching you a language or a non-native speaker. So a non-native speaker who's very, very advanced in most cases is going to be a better teacher than a native speaker. Now, I want to stress it's in most cases because there are lots of native speakers that teach very, very well, even though it's their native language and that the only language they really, that's the language that comes easiest to them. They're still very, very good native speakers that teach. But <clears throat> in my experience, when I've taken lessons with, when I've taken lessons with, I don't think it'd be an exaggeration to say 200 people. That might not be an exaggeration. Let's say 100 for sure. I've probably had lessons with 100 people in my lifetime, private and group lessons. And as a general whole, I would say that someone who is very, very advanced in the language, but learned it as a, as a foreign language, generally would be better at teaching the language than a native speaker. Because the foreign language speaker actually had to go learn the language. They struggled through the grammar points, the pronunciation, the how to speak more fluently, understanding native speakers, dialectal differences. So they have an easier time explaining it. Whereas a native speaker may not have, may not be able to do that. 
Now, there's exceptions, of course. So a native speaker who's very, very experienced and has learned how to break things down for for foreigners, like that's different and they can still do a very, very good job. There's also the exception around if you are a very advanced speaker yourself in the language, like let's say you have a C1 level in another language, there's an argument to be made that perhaps you want to work with the native speaker because the native speaker does have an edge over a very, very advanced, very, very advanced non-native speaker. They will still have some edge over that person in the language sense. And so you might be able to, you might want to consider working with a native speaker. But as a general whole, a non-native advanced speaker generally is going to be better, let's say 70% of the time, something like that, will be better than your typical native speaker who also teaches that same language. So again, it's not, I want to stress, it's not the only characteristic to look for. This is not a hard science, but it is a tendency I've noticed with my personal experience. Now, while we're on this, while we're on this, um, this note here, um, I want to share something that's very important for language learners that will make you, that will help the language learning process. Now, this is basic. I, I do warn you in advance. It's basic, but it's hitting me. It's hitting home for me right now. So I'm a language teacher, and right now I'm also learning two languages. I'm learning Gujarati and Mandarin. Now. I've been learning Gujarati and Mandarin for a long time, but I had taken a bit of a break from my studies, so I wasn't actively studying it. But as of a couple of weeks ago, I resumed my active study of both languages. So I'm taking four lessons a week, privately, online. Two are for Gujarati, two are for Mandarin. They're half an hour lessons, so they're not super long. It ends up being one hour of, of lessons per week per language. <clears throat> and I find, as I've said before on the podcast, that when I am learning a language, it make, like I'm actively learning a language, it instantly makes me a way better teacher. Because I start to realize the things I'm doing that work when I'm learning a language, that don't work when I'm learning a language, and it puts a mirror up and shows me exactly the things that I'm doing as a teacher that are right, and exactly the things as a teacher that I'm doing wrong. And so it makes me a way better teacher whenever I'm also actively learning a language. Now, what I realized recently when I was doing my lessons for Gujarati and Mandarin is just how important input is to feed your output. Input feeds output. Very basic concept. Input meaning listening and reading. Output meaning speaking and, speaking and writing. So the listening and reading you do feeds the speaking and listening you do. In other, or I'm sorry, the speaking and writing that you do. In other words, it is very difficult to speak well and write well if you haven't done a lot of listening and reading. Weird, right? I'll give you an example. This is what's made me realize this. I am in my Gujarati class. We watched this video and there's some new words and such in the video that, that I didn't know. And then I decided I wanted to write, do a written assignment about this video. <clears throat> and or rather on the same topic as the video. And I'm writing in Gujarati, and I'm realizing as I'm writing that I don't know how to write naturally in Gujarati. I've done a lot of listening in Gujarati, but I haven't done really that much reading. Most, I mean, it's not exactly true. I have read a fair amount, but I've read nothing that, I've read nothing that is similar to what I'm trying to write now. 
what I'm trying to write, like the assignment I'm doing. The write, the reading I've done in the past with Gujarati is like children's stories, uh, little rhymes, uh, teaching materials for the kids that I teach. But I don't read a lot of news. I don't read a lot of a lot of articles or books or stories for adults or poems. And what I'm writing right now is basically something like a blog post, something like if you were to read my my newsletters, if you read those, I'm basically trying to write something like my typical newsletter, but on a non-language topic. But it's like an article you could post online. And I don't read those in Gujarati. So I don't know how to write those. I don't know how to sound natural. I don't know how to use punctuation. I don't know a lot of connecting words. I don't even know if people connect the words the same way sometimes because in in Mandarin, for example, the conjunction structure in sentences doesn't work the same way as in English. So as I'm writing in Gujarati, in order for me to write this properly, what I find myself doing is is searching up all these words, but then trying to find articles that use those words and phrases to see how people use them in context. So in order to write, I've written one paragraph so far. In order for me to write that paragraph, I might have I might have read the equivalent of three paragraphs just to write that one paragraph, meaning I went to different articles and websites and blogs, and I was reading just how people phrase sentences and how they use these terms I didn't know what to say just to give me a model to follow and figure out how to do that naturally. Here's another example. Uh, this is more of a speaking example. So in, uh, in Mandarin, I've done a lot of listening. And I've listened to people from various regions, but particularly right now, there's a couple of uh, YouTube channels and podcasts and such that I like, and they're all from mostly from Taiwan, mostly. And so I'm, I'm, I'm being influenced by this one particular dialect of speech. Additionally, I'm listening primarily to a very small group of people. There's about, let's say, two people primarily that I'm listening to in in Mandarin. So there's two people primarily. They have guests and such on their podcast. The two people are Taiwanese, and they're these two people only, so I'm really influenced by them. And then most of their guests, not all, most of their guests are also Taiwanese. So even that outer circle beyond the two people I primarily listen to, they're at least from the same region for the most part. So I listen, 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 listen to them a lot. The teacher I'm taking lessons with right now, also by coincidence, is also Taiwanese. Now, so I've been getting lots of input recently in Mandarin. And I find that because I've been listening to so much listening so much to the same two people and even the people that these two people talk to are also from the same country so they speak in a kind of similar way at least what i'm finding is when i have to speak i unconsciously can imagine how these people might express the idea that i'm trying to express so it makes it easier for me to express that idea does that make sense so you need lots of listening and lots of reading to help you to actually express yourself in the language. I know it's so basic. It's such a basic piece of advice. Some of the more seasoned language learners here might be listening going, come on, Azrin, that's really straightforward. I know it is, but listen, even me, I mean, listen, If I, here's why it's striking me so much lately. The reason it's striking me and the reason it's standing out so much is that with my students, my French and Spanish particularly, I've noticed recently 
is that what I've noticed recently is that I don't give them any, I give them very recently, I give them very few listening and reading assignments. Like very little. All of the focus that we have, 90, 80, 90% is on output. It's on writing, which is for homework, and speaking, which is in class. Now, there's some listening that happens because you listen to me talk, for example, in our conversations. And sometimes there's certain reading things I give them to read or listen to. But the vast majority of the work that we're doing is writing and speaking. In other words, it's output. But I'm not feeding their output. I'm not giving them anything to listen to or to read that can feed that output. Not enough anyway. I give them some, but the balance is definitely not right. So if I'm not doing this right having lived 15 years of my life entrenched with language learning as and as a field, that means that other people are probably making a similar mistake too, where they don't have the right balance between output and input. I'll wrap this podcast up with the following. Um, <clears throat> some people who listen to this podcast here, you might have the balance wrong in the other way. Meaning, me as a learner, I've got the balance roughly right at the moment. Me as a teacher was emphasizing too much of the output not enough of the input, you might be too much input, not enough output. That also is a thing that exists. You might be doing all this reading and all this listening, lots and lots and lots. You watch the news, you read books, you read articles, you, you're, you're living in the, in the world of input, but you never actually talk to anyone or express yourself in the written form. Maybe you write an email here and there or a text message, and that's not nothing. But you trying to actually put together, if you're advanced, you actually trying to put together a one-page, two-page article on some topic and expressing yourself coherently, clearly, in a way that makes sense, that's a whole different ballgame. So maybe you're not doing any writing and you're not talking to anyone in the language. So maybe you've got the balance wrong the other way. But at the end of the day, there is a balance between input and output. You have to remember that input feeds the outputs. So you can't just not do input. But you also can't only do input either. You've got to find that right balance between the two. Anyway, let's wrap this podcast up here. Not much else I want to say today. Have a wonderful rest of your morning, afternoon, evening, night, whatever it is for you right now. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.